So our scripture passage is just a a few verses from the book of 2 Peter, which is toward the very back of your pew Bibles, 2 Peter. We're going to read in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 8 and through verse 15. Um, The words are going to be on the screens if you'd like to follow along on paper. Um, It's on page 1896 in most of your pew Bibles. 1896, 2 Peter 3, beginning at verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, Advent is a season of expectant preparation in a lot of different ways, okay? For instance, children, ordinarily, are on their best behavior in the month of December in anticipation of maximizing the gift count on Christmas morning, right? Sales clerks are extra friendly painstakingly helpful, ready to offer assistance as people snatch up bargains for the holiday season. Even churches spend weeks preparing Christmas decorations, children's Christmas programs, Christmas concerts, special outreach efforts to those who are in need. All good things, right? But that said, the Advent season is so busy that often uh, by the time Christmas actually arrives, we are just exhausted from the weeks of preparation and also a little bit disappointed that, that that day that we had been working towards and looking forward to for so long is over in just a matter of hours, right? And for most of us, in all honesty, our spiritual preparation during this season is, is not so intentional and rigorous as our preparation for the other stuff. At least that's the way it gets for me sometimes. And so the theme of our passage this morning, I think, is really quite appropriate. 
Uh, waiting well for Jesus to come again, okay? Waiting well for Jesus to come again. And that sounds easy enough, right? It sounds simple enough, but let's be careful because it's not as easy as it sounds, okay? And to kind of explain what I mean, let me ask this question. How many of you have traveled in a car with small children for more than an hour? Right? Now, even if the destination is a favorite place, like the zoo or grandma and grandpa's house, maybe especially if it's a favorite place, you have no doubt heard the words, are we there yet? That doesn't sound like a kid. That sounds like a creepy person. Sorry. I watched this Batman movie the other night with Robert Pattinson. You know the Twilight guy? Weird choice for Batman. But it had the Riddler and the Joker in there, and so that's kind of more what that sounded like. How many people have heard, I'm just going to say it in my normal voice, are we there yet? Yes. You know, the expectation of, of... immediate and imminent arrival outweighs any sense of the, the, the time and the distance or the events that are necessary to reach the destination. We just can't move from one place to another in a split second at the, at the speed of light. In fact, time actually seems to actually stand still as those words fracture the air. Are we there yet? How much longer till we get there? How much longer? When are we going to be there? Irritating? Yes, absolutely. But the fact is, it's not just children that grow impatient. Many adults, including myself, do not wait well either. We live in a society that places a high value on instant gratification. I've said this before. All it takes for most of us to become impatient is a slow checkout line at the grocery store, a delay at the doctor's office, a car accident that kind of bring all lanes to a crawl. We don't wait well, partly at least, because we live in a very fast-paced culture. We want fast food. We want instant credit. We want convenient friends. We want 24-7 access to whatever it is that we feel like we need at any given hour of the day. We text each other rather than talk in person. We have cell phones and iPads and computers, everything that facilitates this instant communication. We email greeting cards to each other. And we do Zoom calls with people that live less than 20 miles away from us. We ask people how they're doing and get irritated a little bit, let's be honest, if they say anything other than, fine, I'm fine. How you doing? I'm fine. Good, right answer. How you doing? Well, uh uh-oh. Uh-oh, look for an escape, right? Simply... Don't want to invest the time in listening to any response other than, I'm fine. No, we we don't wait well, do we? You know, first century Christians must have experienced a similar frustration. Um, I don't know how well, how similar, I don't know how much this correlates, but um, first century Christians were 
We're disappointed and, and disillusioned because the perusia or the second coming of the Lord had not yet occurred. And, you know, this was kind of a serious thing for them because the first generation of Christians, for the most part, had, had passed off the scene by this time which discouraged those who were left because, because they had really expected Jesus to return again before they had all tasted death. That's actually in scripture, right? Yeah, to make matters worse, we learn from the beginning of Second um, Peter chapter 3, the verses that we didn't read, that scoffers were looking to uh, sow the seeds of doubt in the minds and hearts of believers uh, by relentlessly questioning the second coming of the Lord. They mocked and, and challenged Christians asking, hey, where's the promise of his coming? Where is he and when is he going to get here? We'd like to meet him, Right? Why is, why is your promised one that you think so highly of delayed? They argued that not only has Jesus not returned as he had promised, but also that, you know what? Nothing has even changed since the beginning of creation. Everything is exactly the same. The inference was that not only was our God delayed, but that our God was dead. Our God was dead or might as well have been so. Otherwise, what's taking so long? Why is he not here yet? Has anybody looked at the world lately? We got problems. We got big problems. We need to be rescued from a lot of things. And so Peter, in response to these attacks on the Christian faith, provides for these young believers three things. He gives them a word of assurance. He gives them a word of warning. And he gives them a word of encouragement. So we're going to look at those three things. That's going to be the structure of the sermon here. So first, a word of assurance. Usually, we end with this, but I want to go chronologically within this passage. And so we're going to begin with it. We find it in verses 8 and 9, where Peter says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In other words, God's delay in returning in no way indicates that God has forgotten his people. God's Slowness, slowness instead is an indication of how patient he is with us. He wants every human being to have the opportunity to repent and to come to Jesus Christ and to choose salvation. And so God has not forgotten his promise to return again for the church, but wants as many as possible to choose life and salvation before he returns. And so in this way, our text reminds us immediately that delay is not denial. But it also reminds us that our time is not like God's time. A thousand years are like a day to the Lord. You know, we say things like time flies when you're having fun, right? 
We also say things like, time just drags on when you're waiting for something, right? Those are two, uh, those are two things that are true. We've experienced those kinds of things. That's because human beings like us, we live in um, what the Greeks would call chronos time. Chronos time would be clock watching time. Minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years. Linear time. But you know, the time that is referenced in this text is a different kind of time altogether. And the Greeks actually had two words for time. One was chronos, which is uh, kind of just ordinary time like we think of it. And the other one is called kairos. Kairos time is what is referenced in this passage. Kairos is God's appointed time. It is a time of opportunity, unrestricted by the passing of chronological time. And you know, Kairos moments happen all the time. Now, we tend to be unaware and kind of unconscious of them, and often we don't recognize them until they pass. There's no external signs or signals that a, a Kairos moment is coming, no visible signs that God is about to show up. Ask Moses at the Red Sea, right? Ask those uh, he three Hebrew boys that uh, were stuck in a fiery furnace during Nebuchadnezzar's time. Ask David as he faced Goliath. In each instance, it seemed that all human resources had been exhausted when God stepped in at the appointed time, Kairos, and performed miraculous things on their behalf. Yeah, Kairos moments tend to happen when you least expect them, uh, like a thief in the night, which is another phrase from this text, and often when your back is firmly against the wall. So this passage tells us that God operates in a different kind of time than we're used to. God operates in Kairos time, time that is unimpeded, by the temporality of our flesh. And so God is not slow regarding the promised return of his son, Jesus Christ. God is waiting for his kairos, his appointed time. God is waiting patiently on us, waiting for as many of us as possible to finally get it that we need a savior. Yeah, God waits lovingly, longingly for us to change our hearts and our lives and accept this amazing gift that he has offered to all of humanity, the word made flesh. So then, before we move on, God's delay is a demonstration of his patience, not a denial of his promise, which brings us to the second thing. This is where the roller coaster hits a dip here a little bit. A word of warning. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Well, that sounds a little bit scary. We would actually wonder from Peter's description of how the earth will ultimately be destroyed that, that maybe he perhaps knew something about atomic theory. Now, I'm 
almost positive that he didn't. But he was guided in such a way by the Holy Spirit that, that perhaps he chose words and chose concepts under divine inspiration that, that we could relate to here in these last days. He says, the elements of the earth will be destroyed. Now, the word elements basically means what is primary. It means what is basic and could literally refer to the, the basic nuclear structure of the universe. The word destroy means to, to separate something into its smallest component parts. Now, I'm not a scientist, okay? But it seems as though Peter is describing as he talks about the day of the Lord, as he talks about the world being destroyed, how molecular bonds are going to all kind of come unhinged. They're going to be loosed so that the whole universe is going to be separated into its smallest particles. And this, in turn, might cause such intense heat that the earth itself will melt, which is mentioned two times in this passage. Yes, twice this passage talks about that kind of intense heat. It's almost like a little lesson in atomic fission and the release of energy. The verse goes on to say, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, which, which also might support that idea. Now, I'm not putting forth a theory as to how precisely the world is going to end. But it does make me wonder, what will it be like when God, with just a word from his mouth, alters the molecular makeup of the world in such a way that it is destroyed? Is it going to be like a huge atomic explosion? I don't know. But I will say this. There are many different schools of thought with regard to what things will be like, and what order of events will take place during the end times, okay? But of all of these different Christian camps with different ideas about how this is going to go down, one thing they don't disagree on is that the world is going to be destroyed. The Bible makes that very, very clear. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Now, the day of the Lord in this context undoubtedly refers to the return of Christ because it answers a question that was asked in verse 4, which we didn't read, but it is one of the questions that the mockers were asking of the Christians, where is the promise of the Savior's coming? Now, in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is a term used for the second advent of Christ. I, Isaiah describes it as a day of visitation. Ezekiel describes it as a day of wrath. Joel describes it as a day of war. And Zephaniah describes it as a day of judgment. And with the second advent will come this series of events which will ultimately consummate in the destruction of the world by fire. And Peter warns us, 
to give us a sense of urgency. He warns us that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be disastrous. It's going to be unexpected to this world. And the world is going to be caught completely off guard. Actually, if you want some confirmation of this, Jesus teaches the exact same thing in Matthew 24, where he says to his disciples, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of a house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the son of man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Again, that's scary stuff. Scary stuff, but, but there will be a special blessing for believers who do persevere in waiting for Jesus. Yes, there is a blessing for those who persevere in waiting for Jesus, observing the signs that Jesus did tell his followers to look for. Revelation 16, verse 15 says, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Which is another way of saying, be ready. Be ready. In fact, we are promised by God himself that the true church at the end of time will be waiting and watching for Jesus Christ. The true church will not be surprised in an ultimate sense anyway because believers will be diligently looking for the Lord's return. They will be prepared because they have been waiting appropriately. And so that brings us to the word of encouragement, verse 14 and 15. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. The final verses of our text focus on living in expectant hope while we faithfully prepare for the return of our Savior and King. Peter also encourages us to be at peace as we wait for the long-expected Jesus. He also encourages us to keep on living in holiness and godliness, striving to be more Christ-like in our lives and in our character. And in this way, Peter answers the question, how are we to invest our time as we wait for Jesus to come again? Yes, the new heavens and the new earth are going to come, but in the meantime, how are we to live with hope in the grace of God? Well, realizing that the return of Jesus will mean the destruction of our present world, that should encourage believers to pursue lives devoted to God and his purposes and lives characterized by worship. You know, we could, we could let our attention be drawn to all sorts of worldly, earthly, material things. We could, and sometimes we do go down that path a little ways. But what Peter is reminding us of here is that everything in this world, everything in this world with the exception of our character is going to be burned up. It is not stuff that lasts. 
And there's a really simple explanation for that. It's because God is more interested in people than he is in things. So then his concern is for what we are, not for what we have or what we pursue. He cares about the quality of our lives. Cares about the character that we develop. He cares about the spiritual qualities that we acquire on our journeys through life. What matters to God, according to Peter here, is that we strive more and more to be like his son, Jesus Christ. Conducting ourselves in holiness would be the words that he uses. Yeah, the world is going to come to an end someday. That may not appear to be true on the face of things. It may look like history is just kind of grinding its way relentlessly on, that nothing ever changes. But in fact, a time is coming when this, this is all going to be gone. And something completely new is going to be established. And so the task of believers in light of this, in light of the second advent of Jesus Christ, is to, to wait patiently, to watch diligently, and to work faithfully. And that said, there is one question. There is one question that each and every one of us needs to answer in order to truly understand and to live this life that we are called to of waiting patiently, watching diligently, and working faithfully. Here's the question. If our Lord were to return today, would you be ready to meet him? Those who have joyfully received Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior and their King will mark my words because they are the words of scripture, will be rescued from hell and be redeemed. Those who have rejected Jesus Christ, or I hate to say this to you who are on the fence, those who have simply ignored Jesus Christ and dismissed his message of salvation as uh, being something for later, or being something that's not that important. Uh, people have made that decision will be judged. They will be judged. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you to choose this day. Choose this day, this moment, to make Jesus Christ your Savior. And I can assure you and promise you that you will be with him for all eternity. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray.